This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Enter Sandman is this, Tony. Really? Okay. This is uh, kind of psychedelic. I like it. This is interesting. All right. All right. We are going to talk to Tony Orlando in about 24 minutes. At least that's the plan. I said the same thing yesterday. But before we do that, I have a lot of problems with you people. Not you specifically. But the people on this list. The people that need to be denounced. And they have made my list of this week's. The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. Let me begin with the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. They have failed to... (laughs) They have failed to suitably report billions of dollars in Fiscal 2022 spending. That's the word not from me, but from the agency's inspector general. This has prompted condemnation from many members of Congress. They just spent, this is not, they went to the store and forgot to get a receipt. They failed to report billions of dollars in spending. This is, you could see the report for yourself by going to usaspending.gov. And the report released last week by this group, which is sort of an independent budget watchdog. The federal government's official public source of spending information was not complete or accurate because the EPA's office of the chief financial officer did not follow its information technology configuration management procedures. I know this might sound like not a big deal to people, but it is. Because if we don't even know what government agencies are spending and what they're spending it on. How can we make suggestions, but we, the public and lawmakers, how can we make suggestions for changes in the future? How do we know if this is money being well spent or money wasted? How do we know this is being spent efficiently? So EPA, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the country of Mexico for the sixth year running. Mexico registered more than 30,000 murders, marking the most violent period in the country's recent history. That's right. If you're alive, this is the... Chances are you don't live in Mexico. No, uh, seriously. If you are alive, this is the most violent period. The period we're living in right now is the most violent period in Mexico's 
history. People are getting killed like crazy. Can you imagine more than 30,000 murders in one year and they've done it six years in a row? This is crazy. Absolutely crazy. Mexico, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Uvalde Police Department. A new report shows that uh, children's lives may have been saved if officers had responded differently to a gunman who opened fire at Robb Elementary School in uh, 2022. This is a mass shooting that killed 21 people, including 19 students. And based on everything in this report, law enforcement, local law enforcement, they just botched this six ways from Sunday. There was poor coordination, poor training, poor execution of active shooter protocol, and this all contributed to this law enforcement response that this 600-page report said could only be described as a failure. And in these 600 pages, I haven't read all 600, but I read the executive summary, they document a series of police missteps during the more than an hour that authorities waited to rush into the classroom. And the investigation found that Uvalde police officers received improper active shooting training in the months leading up to the attack. They were erroneously taught that an active shooter event can easily easily morph into a hostage crisis. There was a lack of leadership. There was at least six separate instances of gunfire as well as officer injuries. And the presence of victims should have prompted officers to take steps immediately to stop the killing, and they didn't do that. Some families received incorrect information about whether their loved ones survived. Can you imagine that? Being told your child is alive and they're not? I mean, everybody involved in the response to this shooting should never work in law enforcement again, as far as I'm concerned. I want to denounce the Chicago Bulls fans who booed during the team's Ring of Honor ceremony on Friday night, when they caused Jerry Krause's widow to cry. During the ceremony, in which members of the 1995-1996 championship team were inducted into the franchise's first Ring of Honor, some fans booed when late general manager Jerry Krause's name was called. Thelma Krause... The wife of the late Bulls general manager was shown on screen crying in response to the poor reception. I mean, having his wife cry like that, it's wrong, as Charles Barkley said. It's wrong on so many levels. Uh, What those fans did to Mrs. Krause, it is so unacceptable. And everybody involved owes that lady an apology, whether you like Jerry Krause or not. The man is dead. Let him rest in peace. His wife is there. And these idiot fans made her cry. And that's total nonsense. A lot of uh, fans, I guess, hold Kraus responsible for breaking up the team after their final championship, which is chronicled in that uh, Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. So what? Man's a human being. Or was a human being. With a family and a legacy. And... I just can't imagine what that must be like for uh, someone's widow to show up thinking her husband's going to be honored in some way. And 
this city and this these basketball fans that he gave so much of his life to. Poor woman's husband's dead, and they're booing him. I mean, just you talk about low class. My goodness. So for those Bulls fans that participated in the booing, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Houston, Texas. Oh yes. Houston, Texas has been named the worst coffee city in America. Houston is home to only 4.9 coffee shops per 100,000 residents, while the average U.S. city holds 12.6. Perhaps unsurprisingly, on the other side of the scale, the Pacific Northwest and California dominated the list of of coffee shops. So uh, this is a, a list put together... Uh, by Google Trends. So, Houston, Texas, not a place for coffee lovers. I must also denounce Ying Lu, the founder of Kite Baby. This guy is just a real winner. So, the, the Kite Baby is a, a baby clothing company. And he has now been forced to post two groveling apologies after... Uh, it's a she. I say this guy is a real winner. This woman is a real winner. After she fired a worker who asked to work remotely while her adopted premature newborn was hospitalized. So it's one thing. I mean, look, you adopt a child. I think it's a beautiful thing. But to have a premature child, you'd think this parent is still willing to work. You'd think you'd give her a little bit of flexibility. Fine, though. Fine. Maybe that's your company policy and Marissa Hughes, it it doesn't, you know, get to work remotely. Fine. But the way in which Ying Lu apologized to Marissa Hughes was absurd. It was a non-apology. And then... She admitted that the first apology that she issued was scripted. So, I mean, I, I think this has been handled every every way, the, the most awful way possible. One, to deny the request. Two, to issue what's clearly an insincere apology. And then three, to issue a, another apology where you admit that the previous apology wasn't real. Oh, believe me now. I'm really sorry now. Well, no, I don't believe her. Ying Lu, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the players on the Green Bay Packers. I'm glad I'm not betting on them this weekend. It sounds like some of the players on the Packers could use a lesson in manners because apparently they were insulting and bitterly heckling the cheerleaders for the Dallas Cowboys. Fifth year, and look, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but look, there's a level of professionalism that you expect and collegiality that you expect among professional athletes and professional sports. And fifth year Dallas Cowboys cheerleader Darian Lassiter claimed that the Packers players got uncomfortably close to her and her fellow cheerleaders' faces and were yelling at them after touchdowns during the Green Bay Packers wildcard round win on Sunday. She said, 
I have never experienced such disrespect from the other team's players to the cheerleaders in my five years as an NFL cheerleader. It, you know, in my view, this is totally unacceptable. I mean, the cheerleaders are just doing their job, just like you are. It's the cheerleaders' fault that the Cowboys are not doing well? And you talk about being a sore winner. I mean, the Packers, nobody except me, obviously, expected the Packers to win that game. Why not be gracious? I found that, unless these claims are exaggerated, I found, I don't care how many players it was, two or three, I found that really beyond the pale. So if you are a Packers player that uh, heckled, insulted, and screamed at these cheerleaders... I do denounce you. I think the one thing we can all agree on is even if we loathe the Dallas Cowboys as a team or a franchise, the cheerleaders for the Dallas Cowboys are nothing short of a national treasure. Uh, As Dolly Parton proved on Thanksgiving when she dressed up like a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader for her performance, she said that was always a dream. And it is Dolly Parton's birthday today. Happy birthday, Dolly Parton. It kills me to have to bring this news to her on her birthday. I mean, she must be beside herself. Um, Packers players, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Estes Carter Thompson III. He may sound like a president or a presidential assassin, but no. He is an American Airlines flight attendant who has now been arrested after he recorded multiple young girls with a hidden camera as they used bathrooms aboard flights he was working. I don't even have the words to describe what should be done to this man. He was caught red-handed by a 14-year-old girl that he attempted to secretly film in a plane restroom, which set off this federal probe that revealed videos of four prior victims. Absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. This man's a total disgrace. Estes Carter Thompson III, I do denounce you. All right. Let me ask you a question. What would you do? You know... During Ask Frank Anything, they like to do the, what would you do? Would you do this or would you do this? Let's say you find a mobile phone in the bathroom of a Walmart. What do you do? Do you, A, leave it there? Okay, maybe, maybe. Do you, B, turn it into an employee? It's probably what I'd do. Well, Cody J. Clements opted for C. He finds a mobile phone in the bathroom and used it to call in a bomb threat. Oh, yes. This uh, 28-year-old gentleman is now facing a false report about planting a bomb or weapons of mass destruction charge. This is in um, Charlotte County, Florida. It's always the Florida man that causes problems for us, isn't it? He finds this bathroom, this phone in the bathroom, and the first thing he does is calls in a bomb threat. I, I, this is in, incredible. Incredible. He then left the store but walked back inside where, I don't know how they were able to find him. I think it had something to do with Bluetooth. The deputies promptly arrested him. He admitted to making the call, saying he saw people do the same thing on, you guessed it, TikTok. Ah, yes, TikTok. One of the stellar advances in human society. And finally, I want to denounce John Clark. John Clark has been let go as uh, a police chief in North Carolina. He apparently, repeatedly, 
asked the wife of a captain in his police department to send nude photos on Snapchat, among other things. And that's totally inappropriate. You should never do that with the wife of someone that's working for you. And what makes matters worse, he couldn't even convince her to do it. So, uh, John Carter, former police chief, I do denounce you. Someone that I will never denounce is the inimitable uh, Tony Orlando, who will join us in just a moment. He is doing his farewell tour. We'll tell you how you can see his uh, final concert. And, you know, we'll, we'll find out why he's hanging him up after five decades of doing pretty well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Tony Orlando joins us straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey girl, what you doing down there? Dancing alone every night while I live right above you. I can hear your music playing. One floor below me, you don't even know me, I love you. Oh, my darling, not three times on the ceiling if you want me. I love this song. I love everything about it. I love the I love the music. I love obviously the incredible vocalist behind it. I love the lyrics. I love that it basically in just a couple of minutes creates this whole secret code for would-be lovers to interact with one another. But the thing about this song, like so many great Tony Orlando songs, so many great songs in general. But uh, especially those of Tony Orlando is they're able to transport you to another place and time. Not only, and this is a welcome change with some of the music that comes out today, can you understand the words that Tony is actually singing, but you're almost transported to exactly where you were when you first heard that song on the radio or elsewhere. And it really does function as a time warp to uh, transform you into that very place and time. I think it's one of the reasons why so many great uh, motion pictures use music to illustrate the period. For instance, I just saw, I told you about it the other day, the Paul Giamatti movie, The Holdovers, which takes place in 1970 and 1971. And they have this great scene where they're listening on the radio to Tie a Yellow Ribbon by Tony Orlando and Dawn. And you really do get the sense that that's an element of authenticity because you remember where you were when you first heard that song. Uh, One of the great joys in being able to work here and do this show 
has being able to call Tony Orlando a colleague. I've been a fan my entire life, and uh, I have to tell you, he's an even more impressive person than he is a performer. Very pleased to welcome back to the program a legendary singer, producer, songwriter, and radio personality who you can hear every Saturday night, Tony Orlando. Tony, it's great to talk with you. Wow, I got to tell you something. You know, that was the kindest. I didn't know I was that good. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know I did these things. All I can tell you is that coming from you, we're talking about broadcasting. I learned something being with WABC Radio. People do not realize, and I mean this, Frank. I'm not just trying to send back a compliment to you. But they don't realize what it is to sit there and ad-lib and go with your heart and your feelings and keep it interesting every night the way you do. I only do it once a week. It's an art form that people really, really, really take for granted. I really believe that. They don't understand what it is, what you do. Well, I, it's, it's, I appreciate that guys, very much. You Thank you. in the morning and Brucey with all the years. I mean, it's just, it's a marvelous, you know, it's an old expression, the whole thing about theater of the mind. But you just said something that is theater of the mind. One of the reasons why you picked up on Erwin Levine's song lyrics and that moment in the holdovers is because you're oriented to creating the theater of the mind. It's probably a lot more subtle to people. They don't really, they can't really articulate it. But what you did just now was literally compliment the lyricists to those songs, because I want to tell you something, Frank, Look, you know, uh, it, look at his lyrics and their little mini movies. Are oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. You know, he, he, he was an extraordinary, no longer with us. And Larry Brown also who collaborated with him with the music, but also wrote some of those lyrics. You know, if you look out your window tonight, pull in the string with a note that's attached to my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's amazing. He was amazing. really was. Um, the, by the way, did you see the holdovers? I'm curious. I did. What did you think? I thought it was great. Yeah. I I, loved it. Now, how often do you see a a film or a television show that one of your songs just pops up in, or is it always the case where you know that some of your music is going to be in that film or that television show? I'll tell you the one that shocked me that I didn't know nothing about was the documentary on Gypsy Rose. Mm. You know, the one that was abused by yeah, her mother. Gypsy Rose it. Blanchard, right. Yeah, but at the end of that film, I'm sitting there and up comes, say, has anybody seen my sweet Gypsy Rose? And I was completely surprised at that. And I noticed that they they were very accurate because when that record came out, it was not, I, I don't believe it was Tony Orlando and Dawn yet. I don't think so. I think it was still Dawn featuring Tony Orlando on the labels of those, of those records. But uh, it, it, was, it was amazing to me. I went, wait a minute, what? Yeah, it's a shock sometimes to see, that, to see your songs and movies. And uh, that, I thought, holdovers. And, but there was a movie called Now and Then. Do you remember that at all? I never saw it. No, I'm familiar with it, but I never saw it. So that movie extended the sale of Knock Three Times to another level because it was very much a young girl's movie and young young girls who had not heard it when it was a hit went out and bought that record. That's uh, Christina Ricci is in that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. 
Yeah, I've got to see that. I, I'll uh, I'll check that out. It sounds like it's worth it just for the music. Now, we are talking to you in uh, Las Vegas right now, uh, which may make the uh, time zone uh, a bit more um, a bit more hospitable for for this hour, which is great. But we have a lot of listeners out in uh, in Nevada. This is going to be your final series of concerts and performances in Las Vegas. You have been performing for over 50 years. You still have a great voice. I saw you perform recently. You you still generate an incredible amount of enthusiasm from the crowd. Why are you choosing to retire now? You still seem like you have so much energy and so much to give. Are you leaving now because you want to leave sort of on top before your st- uh, talent starts to wane due to age? Or do you want more time for stamp collecting? and golf <laughs> stamp collecting sounds interesting actually <laughs> but the truth of the matter is frank i don't know it's a question i can't, I can't really answer i just know in my gut i turned to my wife at one point a couple of months ago and i said franny i can still hit the ball they're still coming and they're filling houses i can still hit the ball i just can't run the bases and what does that mean using that metaphor, is that today, Frank, to travel, to go to an airport, to do a gig. Now, remember, when I was doing the the work here in Vegas during the 70s, you would be in one venue for three weeks. In other words, you would be at, I was at the Hilton Hotel while Elvis was at the Hilton Hotel. So when I came in, he was closing. I knew that I had three weeks to go and that he just finished three weeks. Wow. But today, you're doing one-nighters. So what does that mean? You go to the airport, you get to the airport on time, and all of a sudden, the lady behind the desk says, we're delayed until 5.15, 5.15, and then they come back and they go, sorry, but we're going to be not leaving at 7.09, and then they come on at 10 o'clock. This is the truth. They come on at 10 o'clock and they go, the pilots cannot fly because they're not able to fly. They're tired. So we are canceling the flight until tomorrow morning. Please go to the United Airline or American Airlines desk, wherever you're flying. And after a while, it becomes toxic. You become, you know, I'm 79. I'm a young 79, as you just described. Thank you, God in heaven. But it's still unbelievable. 13 hours and we're canceled. And it's not uncommon anymore. Mm. And I just can't take it anymore. The thing that I miss the most is the thought I will miss the smiles on those people's faces. I will I will not be able to do a meet and greet like I do after shows. I, I'll share. Can I share a story with please, you for a moment? Please. This has happened to me three or four times. Now this is going to sound really heavy, but put yourself in my shoes, Frank. A guy walks up to me, kind of tearful, and he said to me, "Tony, I have four stage cancer. I just want you to know." But if God takes me tomorrow, I just saw the greatest show of my life. Now, fortunately, I worked 33 years with Jerry Lewis on the telephone, co-hosting out of New York. And I got to see when the light goes out in the eye of someone who's not going to make it. And if I see the light in the eye, I recognize it. I tell them. And this is what has happened. I said, wait a minute, buddy, hang on, hang on. 
I said, the light in your eye is bright. You're not going anywhere. And you know something, Frank? That very guy comes back to me three or four years later looking like great. Wow. And says to me, I'm cancer-free. I cannot tell you what it's like when he embraces me and said, thank you for telling me the light was on because it gave me hope to continue on. Now, when you're in the position where you perform and you have touched somebody's heart, that that is that large that it actually makes them feel like I can live. Uh, oh, yeah, I can live. Not, and I don't mean that in a self-egotistical way. I mean that is God has given me a platform to be able to help people in so many ways. That's the thing that I'll miss, miss, and very miss the most. Oh, I can absolutely understand why. Uh, by the way, if people are just tuning in, uh, we're talking with uh, Tony Orlando, uh, an incredible performer who uh, is doing his last round of shows in the Las Vegas area. How's this been? You can check out uh, his work and a lot of other fun stuff at TonyOrlando.com. How has this Vegas trip been for you, uh, Tony? What kind of feedback are you getting from uh, the people that you're entertaining and maybe even the, the hotel staff and others that you've dealt with? with for a lot of years? Well, I came here in 1973. uh, So I've headlined in Vegas 54 years. I've been in show business 64 years. I started in 1960 with Carol King and myself and Don Kirsten at 1650 Broadway in New York. Had my first hit record with Cousin Cousin Brucey was the first person to ever bring me on stage. I was 16 years old. Amazing. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wonderful? And it started with him. And so I wanted to end my uh, career in, 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 uh, in Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun, which I will do on March 22nd, this coming 2024. That's the last show. But the last show I'll ever do in Vegas is here at the South Point. And the South Point Hotel is where Jerry Lewis and I did the telephone from for so many years. And it's the hotel in which I hosted his celebration of life funeral. So this hotel, it, all, again, one of those things you go, is this in the cards? Is this something that's been written in some book somewhere in heaven? Because this is crazy. And so I walk into the hotel yesterday and the people behind the desk and the, and Michael gone, who owns the hotel embraced me. Like I'm coming home to family and it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I, and, and the ticket, somebody's selling tickets out there. I feel like Taylor Swift, my God, they're selling, <laughs> they're selling tickets. I said to my daughter, I said, Hey, save all the comps. We can make a fortune. If we sell them. <laughs> That's outstanding. So it's been, you know, it's been great. I know it's the right time, Frank. I appreciate you giving me this time to talk about it because you're the only radio personality that's really had me on to ask me about this at home in New York. And I know everybody at the station, we're family over there. They all care. They've all called me. I appreciate you giving me this time to talk about it because this is, I have known nothing else. So it's bittersweet. Can you imagine Frank, it's, it's bittersweet, really. It's like, 
Am I doing the right thing? Yes, I am. Yeah, no. I, well, that's that's wonderful. I mean, you hate to hear about people that are that are wishy washy about significant life decisions, and it sounds like uh, you know there's no wishy washiness uh, here at all. No. Um, in yeah. addition, so you're doing that uh, that final show March 22nd at uh, Mohegan Sun Arena, and uh, folks can get tickets at TonyOrlando.com. If they can't make it all the way up to New England, you're going to be at in one of my favorite places, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Jersey at resorts on March 16th. You've got quite a history in Atlantic City as well, don't you? And we're heard uh, right now on uh, WOND, uh, Talk six, uh, talk uh, 1400 in Atlantic City right now as well. And uh, You've got quite a love affair, I'll call it, w- with Atlantic City and its history. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I opened up the very hotel I'm closing, and I was the first act into the resort. They were the first, uh, if people don't know, they were the first hotel or the first casino to offer legalized gambling, actually. That's correct. And I came in, and then after me was Steve and Edie came in, and then after Steve and Edie, it was Cosby. So my my beginnings would go back before the gaming time, Frank. I was there doing the Dick Clark show wow. on the boardwalk when the horse was jumping off the top <laughs> into the bank. That goes to tell you how long I've been doing this. But yeah, Atlantic City has been a major part of my life. The audiences, we sell out every time as we are. You know, I'm looking at tickets for this March 16th show. It's actually already sold out, so I should have saved my breath in uh, in mentioning it. Well, maybe I can... And, so and so is the show in Vegas. And that is, you know what? That is something that I'm going to carry with me in this retirement and, and thank the people if they're listening out there or if you guys out there have family and friends that are coming to see the show or have in the past. I am forever grateful for this dream journey that the public, all of you guys who are listening to Frank tonight have given me. I'm grateful to WABC for giving me a chance to continue on in my home and do a radio show that seems to be accepted people seem to like it i hope they do anyway i spent a lot of time on it because you know i i i've learned how difficult it is to do a show like that and and, and i just want to thank the public your your listening audience is huge as you say they listen to me they listen to you in las vegas i know that i've had people tell me they hear me on your show when i've been on a couple of times before and I just want to thank you for taking the time to even oh, consider well, this moment. It, no, it's, thank you it's, so much. it's my pleasure. Now, Tony, uh, I mentioned that, and anybody that has met you will back me up on this. I, I think you're one of the nicest entertainers, maybe the nicest person in entertainment. And it's, I would think it's difficult, and I'm not saying this to be patronizing, for someone that's had your longevity of success to maintain that kind of humility. And I've said this to you before, and you're always, you know, very, very self-effacing and humble. But what I did recently is uh, go back and read your memoir, which I can't recommend enough. It's available on uh, Amazon. It's called Halfway to Paradise. And I learned that the biggest sin in your household growing up was to be too full of pride. Is that what kind of colors your outlook these days? Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I had a, I, I was raised in that household with a little girl, my sister Rhonda, who was was severely brain damaged, had cerebral palsy, and I and my mom took care of her until she passed at 21 years old. 
She had an IQ, Frank, of a nine-month-old child up until she passed away. Mm. But she taught me just about everything. She was my first audience. And what I mean, what I mean by that, it was in order for me to stop and prevent a seizure from her. The only thing that seemed to stop it was me sitting with my guitar and playing a song called Runaway by Dale Shannon. And every time I would play that song, if I saw a seizure coming on, it would literally, literally stop the seizure. And then the other thing that she taught me, this little unbelievable angel, is the ability to respect that I'm able to scratch my own itch. My, my sister was not able to do that. And when I, you know, you know, you're, are you a parent? Are you a father? Yeah, I have a two-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is perfect. Can't you tell when your two-year-old has, is a, it's a cry, it's a cry because they're tired, a cry because they're hungry. You can distinguish what the cry Absolutely. is Absolutely. Okay. So when my sister had what I call the itch cry, I had to search her body for it. Because if I didn't scratch it, again, on would come a major seizure. And they would scare the living daylights out of me because they were horrifying. So I would go, and when I would get the, you know, where where the itch was, Frank, Frank, this is what I would hear. Ah. And a look of such, and I said, you know what? I will never, ever, ever not acknowledge what it is to be able to scratch my own itch. And then I took that to the stage. What I mean by that is I ask audiences to clap their hands and sing along. You've seen me do it. Absolutely. And and I'm really asking them to scratch their own itch and enjoy it. Enjoy the sting that comes off clapping your hands because you can. And so that little girl taught me so much. And then the ultimate thing she taught me is that Fame isn't really fame at all. It only appears that way from a distance. There is no such thing as fame. It's a mirage. Fame is merely a marquee. So I never took fame seriously, Frank. I swear to you, I never did. I know it exists. I know it gives me the the nice table at certain restaurants. I know I'm driving a limousine and fame has something to do with that. But I don't take it seriously. What I take seriously is that guy who's able to scratch his own itch by clapping his own hands. And I swear to God, that's the truth. That little girl has been my professor ever since she died at 21. Wow. That, well, I mean, that's got to be very emotionally taxing, not just for you and your family, but what a wonderful gift uh, that she's, uh, that she's giving you and what an yes. incredible perspective uh, talking with Tony Orlando. You know, a lot of folks may wonder, you talk about having performed for, um, you know, since you were 16, what was the inspiration for your deciding to become an entertainer? It seems like uh, in the book that I read, uh, Frankie Lyman had a good deal to do with it, huh? Oh, he had a good deal to do with it. You know, it's like Paul Simon said to me one day, Tony, it all starts with doo-wop. And it does. You know, doo-wop never gets its, its proper respect, I don't think. Because when you think about R&B in those days, that was doo-wop. And just like African-American performers have created everything, they know the only invention only instrument that was ever invented in America is the banjo, and it was invented by African-Americans. When it comes to fashion and music, it comes always from, the, from Harlem or the African-American, from the, from the Charleston to wearing your hat backwards today and your pants halfway down your butt. 
and, and rap and doing R&B and Terrence and Eddie James and Ray Charles and Frankie Lyman. Because Frankie Lyman was an old spirit at the age of 12. This is a kid that wrote a child, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? How does a child at 12 years old <laughs> write a song like that? He was a literal genius. And so he was an inspiration. But the idea of being in show business came from when I was nine years old and I saw Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly. That's when the light bulb really went off. Uh, that is some story. I'm curious, when you're at leisure, when you're in the car, when you're you know uh, just hanging around the house, what do you listen to? What does Tony Orlando listen to? What's on your iPod, if you have one? You want to know something, Frank? I listen to everything. I know that sounds like a cop out, but it's the God's truth. I mean, I you know I go from old doo-wop records to jazz, from jazz. I go to I, you know the only thing I don't have on my iPod is opera. You know, I don't I don't I don't have that. Although I appreciate it, sure, and I love Pavarotti, but it's not something I carry. But on my in my phone, and I'm on a flight. You, if I told you how widespread and eclectic that music is on my phone, it'd drive you crazy. It drives my wife nuts anyway. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Uh, you know, anybody that's been an entertainer as long as you have, pe- the public may not realize this, but it's not as if it's always the days of wine and roses. Uh, you deal with different issues uh, in your own life, and you've been very open about some of your struggles, but you uh-huh. also yep. deal with changing tastes. And sometimes you, know, you, know, may, you may go from being the toast of the town to having a difficult time getting booked in some places or on some shows. Shows. Um, it's certainly that the, that way in the radio business. It's very rarely just a straight upward project, uh, trajectory. Usually there are, there are peaks and valleys. How do you handle that, Tony? How do you handle the valleys when you've been to the top of the mountain? I don't want to get religious on you, but I really have a strong faith in the Lord. And I really leave it up to him to grab me out of it. And he has every single time. And my faith is what's gotten me through, Frank. And I've been through uh, pretty some strong times in my career. I lost Freddie Prince, who was a young, brilliant 22-year-old, who was like my younger brother. But he was a, a Hungarian, I'm a Greek-Rican. And we were the only two like that in the whole world. I think the Bald Eagle is the only rare uh, <laughs> product in this country compared to us. We had a publishing company, a, a movie company that we just started called Hungarian Greek Rican Productions because we believe in cinemascope screens would be great to go stretch all the way across the screen. But, you know, it, it's life like that for everybody. It's not just performers. Think of it. People go through marriages and divorces and they lose their money. They lose their house. They come back. They make a comeback. It doesn't just happen to radio broadcasters and entertainers. It happens to everybody mm-hmm. who's listening to us right now. But we get the stories that it's in the paper or it's in a magazine. So it seems like it's only happening to us. So it's really a very common thing. Once you realize that it is not a straight trajectory up, it's not even a straight line, as you know. It's not. It's valleys. And what got me through it was what I just described. 
Well, that, that is wonderful and really inspiring to everybody. Uh, Tony, you're on the radio Saturday nights on uh, WABC in New York, and if people listening around the country, they can certainly tune in at WABCradio.com at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. I love a lot of these theme shows you do. I learn a lot from the stories that you Thank tell you. behind some of the songs that you uh, that you select. What's, uh, what's in store for this weekend? What do you have planned this weekend? This weekend... There, there are three voices that always blew me away, Frank. That, that is uh, Michael McDonald, David Pack of Ambrosia. And of course, you know, Just Once is one of my favorite songs of all time. And I pay tribute to them this weekend. And uh, all I can say is when David Pack gets on the phone, and it, I've been calling up my friends lately. So instead of calling publicity agency. Can I have an interview with David Pack? I've known him for a hundred years. I just call him on the phone. I remember calling Lionel Richie. I give you, I give you a great one. I call Lionel Richie and I said, Lionel, Tony, hey, Tony, what you doing? I got to ask you a question. Who were you writing about when you wrote once, twice, three times a lady? Mm. And you know what his answer was? His grandmother. Wow. That's something. Yeah, it, I would it, it never guess that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would, me neither. Never me neither. guessed that. Uh, I would have never guessed it. But the, this radio show, I try to treat it, and thank you for describing it as themes, a theme-oriented or, or more of like a radio documentary. And, and I'm trying my best to make that different than just playing records and saying it's, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. But, I want a story backline, and I'm, I'm enjoying that aspect. That's of it. great. That's great, Tony. We're going to have to end it there. I hope to see yeah. you when you're uh, when you're out east again. Best of luck in Vegas. Uh, don't go too crazy at the craps table. And Frank, I might, but let me just tell you something, okay? I win with you every time. You have a good night. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. The great Tony Orlando, uh, a real mensch. He may be a Greek or Rican, but he's a, a mensch if ever there was one. Uh, check out the website, TonyOrlando.com. You can still get tickets to some of those shows in Illinois and elsewhere, but um, Atlantic City is sold out, Mich- uh, Connecticut is sold out, and uh, it is uh, one of the hottest tickets in town right now. So uh, absolutely understandable. We'll continue with your phone calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. Where it began, I can't begin to know it. But then I know it's growing strong Wasn't the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd come along Hand Touching hands 
Reaching out Touching me Touching you The great Neil Diamond, another legendary performer, singing Sweet Caroline. This is a birthday bumper music selection from Gregarious Gary Gotlin, listening in Florida. Happy birthday, Gary. Hey, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, listening to Tony Orlando tell that story, and we'll take your calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. Listening to Tony Orlando tell that story about his sister and her itch, how difficult it is it was for her to find an itch and scratch her own itch. I, you know, I have psoriasis, and for the last four days... My torso has been as itchy as can be, and I don't think it's psoriasis. Those of you that have psoriasis know what I'm talking about because when you have psoriasis, you know what it looks like and you know what it feels like, right? And it's just, in, in, in general, an itchiness that is really irritating to me. I mean, it's annoying. It's, it's sometimes keeping me from sleeping. So what I I think it might be, do you remember maybe a week or so ago when Noam Layden was here? And Noam Layden's going to join us in about a half hour. Noam was telling us about how, especially in the cold weather months, they all these people take these hot showers and these hot showers are leading to a dry skin, which is quite itchy. I think this is what it is. I think my torso is itching me like crazy because of these hot showers that I take and brag about taking. So I I tried when I showered last night to cool down a little bit, but I still like the hot shower. Not sure. I'm going to douse myself with moisturizer later, see if that helps. Until next hour, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.